So last week, we celebrated Easter. It was an amazing time. And then what do we do after that? After all, you know, it can kind of seem like a little bit of a letdown. We have this leading up to great celebration, and then our worship services return to normal. <laughs> However, scripture tells us that much more happened after that one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was on the earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And we observe today that Thomas, he was not there when the other disciples were present, when Jesus appeared and showed his hands and sighed and said, yes, it really is me. Look, Thomas wasn't there. And he said, ah, unless I see the scars and put my finger in the scars, I'm not going to believe it. Well, Jesus, in his grace, showed up to Thomas one week later after the resurrection. So today's that day, Thomas believed in Jesus. And then, in addition to the disciples, there were over 500 people that Jesus showed himself to, to prove that he was alive. So the resurrection wasn't just the one day event, the resurrection affects us today. The resurrection of Jesus challenged his followers' lives forever. And so, because of that, for the next four weeks, we are going to take a journey through the book of Colossians. We're going to focus on one chapter each week until we get through. And the theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. It establishes the preeminence, the superiority, the greatness of Jesus. And along with that, that he is truly, fully God. So that's a perfect study to be doing right after Easter. The first half of the letter proclaims Christ's dominion over the entire universe. And then the second half of the book tells us how to apply this, his lordship, to our daily lives. So we too will be challenged that the resurrection of Jesus changes our lives forever. So who wrote the book of Colossians? Oh, someone's signing. Paul, yes. Yes, he wrote the book of Colossians from prison to the church of Colossae. And Colossae was a small and a not very significant town. But the issue that the church faced was huge. And it had far-reaching implications. There was a strange teaching being spread in the church that mixed human philosophy and strict legalism. And to counter that false teaching, 
Paul presented a strong case of Christ's sovereignty. Now we live in a society today that really teaches the power and goodness of humanity and some people they do follow strict guidelines and other people they have loose guidelines that they uh, follow, they customize their own beliefs. And as we live in this sometimes confusing world, day after day after day, we too may be easily influenced. So that's what was happening to the Colossian church. However, the book of Colossians reminds us that Jesus is supreme and we must follow his way and build our lives entirely upon him and his word. So I love the scripture reading that Paul blessed us with today, and that was the first 14 chapters of, first 14 verses of Colossians chapter 1, and that really provides a rich and profound description of thanksgiving and prayer. And today we're going to go on further and look at verses 15 through 23, and then we're going to throw in verse 27 just to mix it up a little bit. So let's take a look at the supremacy of Christ and what all that means. So as we look at verse 15, it says, He is the image, meaning Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So firstborn. Now, sometimes you might think, Firstborn, well, then he was created. But no, when it talks about firstborn here, it is referring to first in position. He's the heir, he's supreme, and he is the ruler of all creation as the eternal son. And then in verse 18, it does talk about firstborn again. It says that he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Wow. So that shows us that he laid the way, he paved the way, so that we can also, when we face death, we will also be resurrected with new body. And my mind just went blank. <laughs> so he rose from the dead. His natural body became spiritual. And we know that the same will happen to us today. Just as he promised. So firstborn shows his uh, supremacy. And then next, in verse 16. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow along too. For by him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things 
were created by him and for him. Just think about that for a minute. Wow. All things, the things that we can see, material things, and spiritual. They owe their existence to Christ's work as that active agent in creation. Next, life force. Now, I kind of don't like that term very much, but as I was reading through this verse, verse 17, that's a word that popped out to me as a descriptor. So he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So he holds everything together. And I thought about putting up the word glue, but I, no, that doesn't really capture the fullness of who Jesus is. So life force, I heard, I was listening to a talk show the other day and the lady was talking and referred to God. And I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty great. But then she backtracked and she said, well, whatever you want to call God, we'll just call it life force. And, oh, you missed it. <laughs> you could have been right on, but you missed it. It's a, she used it as a spiritual word and not as a Christian word. But truly, Jesus Christ is the life force because everything is held together by him. If you were to take him out of the equation, which is impossible, everything would fall apart because he's the one that breathes life and gives life to everything. Now verse 18, says he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, and there's the firstborn from among the dead again. So the head. On the resurrection day, Jesus became the head of the church. And the New Testament church, we're a part of the New Testament church. It began when the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And so we look to him. I mean, we might have leaders in the church and different denominations have different structures, but our head is Jesus Christ because he has all supremacy. And this is his church. How many of you have been attending Mountain View for at least 10 years, raise your hands. Wow, that's great. Okay, how about 15 years? Okay, still a lot of hands. You can raise your hands if you're watching by Facebook. Okay, how about 20 years? Been here for 20 years? So there's 20 years. 25, 30, <laughs> 35, 40, 50. Okay, I'm going to stop. But there's still people raising their hands. And even though this, you call this your church home, and it absolutely is, this is 
where you worship, where you belong, where um, you've done life and you receive spiritual nourishment here. It absolutely is your church. But it's Jesus' church first. And so we always have to submit to the leadership of Jesus and what he wants. And what he says goes. Okay, verse 19 talks about fullness. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Wow. Just think about that for a minute. The greatness of God, he was pleased to have all the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. So the full and complete Godhead, which is the Trinity, with all its powers and nature, resides in Christ. That is fullness. Maybe even overflowing, huh? Okay, and last but not least, reconciler. Oh, I am so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus to reconcile the world to himself. Verse 22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Wow. You could look at your own life and, and you know the things that you've been involved in. You know the decisions, the choices that you've made. And the Bible says when we do make those wrong church choices, that it does separate us from God. But God loved us so much that he made a way so that all those negative choices and decisions, all those things that we've done, that we've fallen short of the mark of perfection, they all be washed away, completely forgiven, so that we can be reconciled to God instead of being separated from Him. So before we move on to the next part, I want to talk about two big words to remember. And maybe if you can't remember these words, at least remember their meaning. Because if you do, it will really change your perspective on how you walk and live with Jesus. So the two words are transcendent and imminent. So transcendent. That means above higher than, and independent from all others. God exists both above and independently from creation. So in other words, there is absolutely no created thing that can match God's power. He created all space, all time, all energy, all matter. Therefore, he's able to control all things as he pleases. God is perfectly holy, without any sin, and eternal. 
So God is transcendent. And God is imminent. And this refers to God's relationship to the world, that he is actively operating within it, that he sustains it, and is continually present. God has chosen to place himself in direct connection with this world as its creator, as the sustainer, as the savior. God's imminence is a beautiful picture of God's relationship with this world. He cares about even the smallest concerns. As it says in Luke 12, 6, are not five sparrows birds sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. That's the imminence of God. Every single bird out there. I mean, you might be a bird lover or you might not be a bird lover, but birds don't seem in the vast scheme of things to me to be that important for God to notice, but God notices because he cares about even the smallest details. So in 1990, my husband and I, we were pastoring a small church in Marblemont, Washington. Has anyone heard of Marblemont, Washington? <laughs> well, my husband's heard of it, <laughs> and Mike in the back has heard of it, but not very many people have heard of it. It's uh, nestled in the North Cascades, and the population is so small and so spread out that it's actually registered as a ghost town. And we were called to serve at this church, which was the only church in town. And uh, we, it was really a, a sacrifice of love and being obedient to the Lord who said, go there. And so we said, okay, we'll go. So our salary, it was, it varied from week to week because the agreement was that we got 50% of whatever came in the offering that week. <laughs> so my husband had to get a full-time job and he ended up working at a lumber, a lumber store, a lumber mill, <laughs> lumber, uh, and 60 miles away. So he was gone for most of the, the day working to support us. And even then with four, growing children, it was hard to make ends meet. And one time, our cupboards and our fridge were bare. I had just fed the kids breakfast and there was nothing left. And we weren't going to be getting paid for a few days. So we had to really call out to the Lord uh, for his intervention. So after breakfast, I gathered my kids and uh, told them that we needed to ask the Lord for food. And I encouraged them to be specific about the types of food that they 
wanted. So we prayed together and we shared our specific needs. So we prayed, Lord, we need milk and eggs and bread and peanut butter and cereal and meat and vegetables. And at the very end of prayer, my youngest child at the time piped up, and cheese! So right before lunch, there was a knock on the door. A man from our community who owned a local restaurant had brought us a large box. And as he carried it into the parsonage, he explained, I hope you don't mind, but I just placed an order and they sent me way too much food. So I wondered what to do with it and I thought that maybe you could use it. Oh, he had no idea. And as I was fighting back the tears, I told him, thank you so much. The Lord has used you to answer a prayer for our family. And so the kids and I, we excitedly unpacked the box and there was milk, there were the two types of cereal, two dozen eggs, two loaves of bread, a huge jar of peanut butter, um, hamburger patties and buns and frozen vegetables and more. And guess what the last thing was that we pulled out of the box? Cheese! Yes, cheese! A five-pound block of cheese. Oh, the Lord that day, he showed us that he is almighty. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He's transcendent. And at the same time, he's imminent. He's all loving and intimately involved in our lives. And he cares about what matters deeply to us. So please remember those words. Transcendent and imminent. And when you're going through a struggle and you wonder if God sees, remember, not only does he see and does he know he cares. What I love about serving the Lord is that he, yes, he has done all the work for us to be in relationship with him. And he also asks us to partner with him. The supremacy of Christ re requires a response. Jesus establishes his supremacy, and we as believers act in partnership with him. So our first responsibility is be reconciled. Jesus is a reconciler. We partner by accepting that to be reconciled. I was 13 years old when I believed in Jesus and received his gift of reconciliation. Before that, I was miserable, depressed, grown up in a very dysfunctional environment, and I was suicidal. 
I really felt like there was no purpose. Life for me. But then I heard about the God who loved me so much that he made a way to be in relationship with me through Christ and his sacrifice. And just knowing that the Heavenly Father loved me, created me, had a purpose for me, and would take that brokenness and bring healing and wholeness. That was all I needed. I was hooked. And the day that I was baptized, as I was waiting for my ride, I sat on the front steps of the house and I prayed and I just said, Lord, I believe in you and I trust in you. And even if no one else in my whole world follows you, I will follow you all the days of my life. And I'm standing before you today. I still love Jesus and I've grown in a relationship with him. And when I look back at that 13 year old, God has transformed me so much. But that was important for that 13 year old to take the step and to accept Jesus as the reconciler. And I admit, I have not walked perfectly. I don't stand up here in front of you with a halo because I've just done it all right for the last 40 years. Nope. <laughs> but Jesus has walked with me every step of the way. And when I stumbled, he's picked me up and he's brushed me off and he's forgiven me and he's set me on his path. So, we're to be reconciled. And the next responsibility is be holy. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So notice that Paul says it's essential for us that was actually verse 22, to be holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That requires walking with the Lord. That's not that we just say a one-time prayer, I receive you, Jesus, into my heart, forgive me my sins, and now I'm good. There is an element to that, because God cares about us and will walk with us and that the good work that he began in us, he's faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. But there's also a willingness on our part to partake of his life and to be able to live in a way that honors Jesus. So, the way that we do that is to not be moved from the hope that is in the gospel. 
and don't return to your former way of life in its state of hopelessness with all of its negative consequences. And then this is verse 27, the one that I thought I'd just throw out for fun. Live Christ in you. And Paul was talking about that he gets to reveal this great mystery. And the great mystery is that Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we've talked about the supremacy of Christ. We've looked at last week the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And that same power, the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Isn't that a mind-blowing thought? Sometimes we wonder, how can I live this life of holiness if we're God? It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's hard, especially when we're trying to just plow through with our own strength, with our own power. It's kind of impossible. But when you remember that it's Christ in you, you're able to live like Christ lived, and you're able to be holy. As we seek that continual communion with Jesus, we'll be able to have the life that he has and gives to us. So a little bit different this week, I have some different questions for us to interact with this week. So Jesus Christ has established his supremacy throughout the universe, and we as believers have a responsibility to partner with him by honoring him with our lives. So as Jacob and Rihanna come up to play softly, really reflect, open our heart to the Lord, and consider how big is God to you? And maybe you want to be soul-searching. How do you limit him by your own human perspective? We tend to sometimes put God in a box where we can understand him but he's so beyond that box. And then think about how close is God to you? And in what areas do you need to open your heart to him? So we're going to have a time of prayer um, to music. And let's take time to reflect and respond to the Lord. You can do that in your seats. You can do that kneeling at the front. But I encourage you, wherever you want to connect with the Lord, whether it's kneeling or sitting, the important thing is that you do connect with Jesus.